This show is for the sales leader who knows they have a pivotal role in driving outstanding sales results. Getting hired or promoted to manage a sales team is a big accomplishment, but you know you have to work hard to become a great sales leader. You are listening to the Divine Comedy of Sales podcast. Here's your host, coach and advisor to elite sales leaders from around the world, Matt McDarvey. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Divine Comedy of Sales podcast. I'm Matt McDarby, veteran seller, leader, coach and advisor to elite sales leaders all over the world. I'm really excited to have you join and listen to today's episode. This is one of our interview episodes, and I'd like to introduce you to my very special guest right now. So with us today, I am thrilled to have Rachel Proban customer success leader extraordinaire, coach, content creator, advisor, you name it, angel investor, I see. Like, it's hard to keep up with the profile with all the things you have going on. Rachel knows as much about defending and expanding customer relationships as anyone I know and uh, has been a teammate, has become a friend, and I'm thrilled to have her on. So welcome, Rachel, to the show. Thank you so much. That was such a lovely welcome. I try, you know, I give it my give it my best effort. So let's just dive right in. For people listening, I said customer success and they're like, hey, hang on a second. This show's about sales leadership. So let me just challenge you, the listener, for a moment. When we think about the various ways that we can drive sales growth. For me, one of the most important and most important pillars of sales growth and one of the ways in which we can reliably drive growth is to defend and expand the relationships we have with our current customers. And I would argue that in a lot of, especially in, in the tech world, that function is served by the customer success function. Rachel and I have had a little bit of debate and she corrects me and refines the definition as necessary. But the point is for me, I think it's not a long leap to be talking about sales leadership and talking about customer success leadership. It's actually kind of a short hop or just a step to the right, right? Yeah. So Rachel, I've got questions for you about leadership and what you've learned. So first question, so what's, what is the most important lesson that you've learned about leading people? Hmm. I think the most important has been really to let, let them play to their strengths. And the way I like to, to explain it, especially with new leaders, they have a tendency to want to keep control of everything, almost project manage everything. And it's exhausting mm-hmm. and it can get really frustrating for the team. And so over time, the way I've grown to look at it is looking at more as a conductor than trying to be like a one-man band. Because if you picture like that monkey with the symbols and everything, it it's exhausting and you look ridiculous when you're trying to do it all yourself. And you can't. And the thing is, a lot of times people just sort of think about this is what a leader should look like. This is how a leader should act. I have to be in charge of everything and nobody can know that I know less than them. And that's a really tough situation to get into because you're never going to be able to live up to that and people are yeah. going to feel it. I've seen it. If you're able to let people be their best, it's amazing how far they will go and how much farther than meeting you halfway. Giving them a chance to shine just yeah. helps everybody. Yeah, I've seen it too in hiring new leaders. It's like they they bring this, it's like a misperception. I don't know where it comes from, but it's like, I've got to know everything. I've got to have mastery over this job from day yeah. one. What do you think's behind that? Like, why do, why do so many people make that mistake or carry that perception into a new leadership role? You know, I think because they haven't been in it before. 
So they don't, they have no idea what's involved. Most new leaders are not trained in leadership at all. And it's a completely different job, which is one of the reasons I do what I do, because it's, I fell into this trap too, you know, and especially if you've been promoted over your peers, they're like, wait a minute, you were just here trying to act (laughs) like you know what's going on. I think that there is or has been a notion of what leadership looks like. And it's, I tend to talk to a lot of the people I work with who fall outside of this circle, which would be a 45-year-old white guy, which is, I know, nothing wrong with them. Uh, Thank goodness for that. (laughs) Many of us are just not that. So if that's what executive presence is modeled around, you're going to end up being really awkward Mm. as you try to fit into that mold. And one of the things I truly, really like to dive into and teach is that you can be a leader exactly as you are. You don't need to know more. You need to be able to help other people achieve their best. And you have to be comfortable with who you are. Otherwise, they're going to sense it and they're going to be really uncomfortable and not want to listen to you. It's like with, uh, with pack animals. You know, if you see a group of dogs, they don't care who the alpha is. It's not like, oh, this person's better than me. She's like, we just need somebody at the front who knows what they're doing. And if that alpha doesn't know what they're doing and is like showing that it's not confident, somebody else is going to go in there and fight them because they need to feel safe. Like somebody needs to drive the ship. I don't care, but somebody. And that happens with direct reports too. If they don't feel like you know what you're talking about, they're going to come in and fight you. Not because of you, but just it just right. doesn't feel safe. Yeah. Well, I mean, those are all of the reasons for why a new leader would be like, uh oh, right? I don't yeah. know. Yeah. And of so course. there's a certain degree of like, it's okay to bring that vulnerability into a new role and be like, look, I don't have all the answers, right? But maybe the yeah. best thing, you said a few things in there. One is, and I'm paraphrasing, right? But like knowing that you're there to, to help others, to develop others, that's really the job. That's mm-hmm. what leading is. Yeah. But it's also maybe the other thing that I need to do as a new leader is just demonstrate that I'm just curious. I don't have all the answers and I'm curious and we're going to figure things out together. Maybe that's a way to kind of suspend the, you know, I've got to demonstrate to people I have all the answers, right? A hundred percent. I like to go in with the attitude. If it's a new team, like an existing team that I'm going into, I like to go in with the attitude of, look, right now, you know, you people know more right. than I do. I'm going to want to know your opinions. I'm always going to want to know your opinions, but I'm going to be leaning on you. You have the expertise. You know, I'm here to remove blockers and enable you as much as possible. I'm not here to tell yeah. you every little thing to do. And yeah, I love that you said curiosity. I always think to myself, you know, I I don't have any tattoos, but if I were to get one, it would just be to stay curious because whenever you think you know something, you're probably yeah. losing out. And I forget yeah. all the time, but I love the idea of just always being curious. Yeah, it's a huge part of the job. So at some point we may see, if you ever meet Rachel on the street, you may see her with the be curious or the question mark neck tattoo or... <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah, that's me all day. All right. Well, you produce a lot of content and have a lot to say on the topic of customer success. And it's great. It's really well done. And that only happens when you really love subject matter. And I know that you love leading people and developing people. But what do you love most about leading people? Mm. I love watching them grow and watching them be surprised at just, just how far they've come. Like, I've enjoyed leading people to the extent that it's like, oh, I never knew that I wanted to take my career in this direction. I never knew I wanted to manage people. I never knew I wanted to specialize. 
and just creating that window and that encouragement, mainly by asking questions, not telling them what to do, but understanding how to ask questions so they can figure things out for themselves. It's just so cool because it, it turns out to have been them all along. They just needed kind of someone to ask them the right questions to guide them. And I have always really thrived on helping others. That's what feeds me. Money's great. I like it, but I have to be doing something that helps others. It's the only way I'm satisfied at the end of the day. No, I, I totally, I understand and can relate. You're ta- you know, you're saying, you know, it's be curious, ask questions, help them sort of, and I think the phrase that you used was watching, like you enjoy watching their surprise at how much they've grown or how much they can grow. But implied in all that is yeah. you've got to give them the space. If you're asking the questions, you've got to give them the space to actually think about the answers and get them wrong, right? It takes more time. It, do- it does and it doesn't because someone is going to learn a lesson a lot faster if they learn the lesson in a positive or negative mm-hmm. way themselves. I can tell you all day, you need to, you can tell them a parent, you need to tie your shoes. You're going to fall down if you don't. You mean, yeah, yeah. The minute you fall down because your shoes aren't tied, you're going to remember, aha, this is a lesson that could be useful to me. I will tie these. Right. I don't fall down. It's just we're, we're experiential right. beings. Yeah. And that is, you're right. I mean, so much of leadership is just giving people the space. And and one of the things that I find most rewarding is very similar to you. Like I love seeing people achieve things that they didn't believe that they could, right? Mm-hmm. And stretching themselves and developing confidence in areas. And some of the things you said earlier about executive presence, and you're you know, referencing people that don't look like the sort of stereotypical leader man in a suit, right? In front of the room. Um, yeah. It's just about confidence yeah. and comfortability, yeah. you know? And knowing that everybody that you meet during the course of a day is wrestling with some version of a lack of confidence in a certain area. 100%. One of the things that yeah. I'm always surprised by, and I do I do a lot of work with leaders of leaders, right? Coaching chief sales officers and VPs. And, and um, I'm always surprised at how often when I ask them what what they're working on, how often they say, I feel like I'm an imposter. I need to get over that. I need to work through this, right? It's not going to happen. No. Everybody is. But, you know, what I try and, and I work with new leaders. So they think they're the only ones with imposter syndrome and right. everyone else feels fine. And I'm telling them, like, look, all the way up to the CEO and especially the CEO, they all feel like they have right. no idea what they're doing. But we're all adults. And if we think of it as we're just doing the best we can with the brain power we have in the room, we're going to come up with ideas and see if they work. No one is going to shoot you if you call a number and it's wrong. You basically go in, you say, here's what we're trying to achieve. This is the information we have. This is our plan. Anybody have any input? Am I missing anything? Okay, great. And then you go out, you see how it works. You're like being a scientist. Mm -hmm. If something doesn't work out, Mm -hmm. that's a data point. You figure out, okay, what was the variable that we didn't know? And you put that in your plan for next time. And that's all you're ever going to have to do. It's You cannot be expected to know everything. If you're someplace that you are, I hesitate to say like to leave a job at a tough time like this, but just know that in the future you need to go somewhere where you're not expected to do the impossible because literally no one can have every single piece of information. We're dealing with humans in sales and CS. Like humans have far too many variables. That's why, at least for now, we're ahead of the AI because we're hard to figure out. There's yeah. a lot of randoms, so you, you can yeah. never account for all of it. Being able to fail is one of the most important things that you can give to 
to mm-hmm. a direct report, mm-hmm. you know? It's like, yeah, you can do it. Don't be careless. Right. But yeah, if you try something and it doesn't work, all I say is please just tell us because you are an intelligent person. And it means we're most likely going to try the same right. thing at some point. So say, hey, I tried this. Didn't work. Here's why. Heads up. That is as valuable to me as something you tried that did work. And let's try to limit. Like if we're going to try, it, I, you know, I've always told people sort of somewhat jokingly, a little bit tongue in cheek, like I want you to go out and fail. I really do. I want you to go out and make mistakes and learn from them. Let's just try to yeah. do it as often as possible in a safe setting. Where we're not with live clients. Or we're not screwing things up yes. all the time. But so right. there's sort of a limit there, a, a balance. 100%. But you may- but I know that that in customer success, a lot of leaders um, are tasked with far too many things, more than anyone could ever mm. possibly handle. It gets very quickly put into the miscellaneous department. And they think they, – they don't realize they can say no or push back or say this is too much. And something that I sometimes encourage them to do – and it's controversial – but if you've been telling people there's too much on my plate and nothing's changing, it's okay to let a plate drop, you know? Uh, especially if you are coming in and rescuing things that are not part of your department's responsibilities because it's going to impact the client. Yeah, pretty much everything is. If you try and hold the entire company up by yourself, you're going to run out of hands. And I hate to break it to you, if you left tomorrow, the company would still be here. Mm -hmm. So there is another Mm way. Driving great sales results is hard. Doing it consistently is even harder. There are so many obstacles that can prevent you from becoming the most effective sales leader you can be. Find practical advice you can apply right away by picking up your copy of Matt's book, The Divine Comedy of Sales, at www.divinecomedyofsales.com. It's allowing other people to sort of figure it out. I mean, so much of leadership is, you mentioned science earlier. I hear scientific method, yeah. I think diagnosis, right? It's, it's learning, it's trying, yeah. it's learning from failure. It's trying, it's learning from success. It's diagnosing situations. Another word is triage, exactly. right? And so whether you're a leader or an individual contributor, triaging, is this really a problem that I should, that I'm responsible for solving? Or is this, you know, has this sort of landed yeah. with me? I think we have a responsibility. So if I'm an individual contributor, my responsibility is to go to my leader and say, hey, I, I don't even know why I'm being asked to be involved mm-hmm. in this at this point, right? We're, we're supposed to be solving problems with X and Y and Z. But that's, a, that's something we have to model, 100%. right? As leaders, the, if, if, if we're just sort of, we take all comers and any issue that comes up or any escalation and we dive right in, that sends a pretty clear message to the people on our team, Yeah, it? absolutely. And it's a difficult conversation to have, especially... Most ICs don't think that they're allowed to say no or to push back at all. And it doesn't have to be like, hey, this isn't my job. Why are you giving, you know, especially in the startup world where I tend to to play. Um, it's more a matter of, I, I always, I am not a visual person, but I still always say bring charts um, because mm-hmm. it will help mm-hmm. whoever you're talking to see what you mean. Right. But just come and say, look, th- to my understanding, I want to make sure that we're aligned on you know, what's most important here. Because to me, I'm supposed to affect NRR. I'm supposed to drive that up. That is my number one priority. Mm -hmm. The best way I can do that is by working on this, this, and this. These are the three projects I've got right now that are going to impact that the most. Mm -hmm. I also have these other 32 things on my plate. And here's, and I have a half an hour free in my day every day. So Mm -hmm. 
I'm scheduling these things in, I'm moving some things, scheduling these things in, but the rest of these, you know, are we aligned on that's the most important thing? And if so, okay, so should these go in a parking lot or should these go to someone else? I'm fine with either Mm -hmm. one, but I want to make sure that I don't just do 20 different things a little bit, but that I actually move the needle on the most important things every single day. Yeah. Yeah. It's an important dialogue to have, right? And that could be with you, that's you and the chief revenue officer, or that's you and your reports, but there's a version of that that's happening both. Yeah. And I used to ask, like, are you overloaded? Because so many times people will be working late into the night and it's like, that serves no one. If you're, if you're doing that, I need to hire more people. I need to put a process in place. I need Mm -hmm. to know. Mm -hmm. But most people didn't think, you know, if I would, I would get like a slack at like eight o'clock at night. I'm like, what are you doing? Leave me alone. Go hang out with your family. But you do, you, you have to model it because if you're saying to do that and then you're still sending them emails at that time, it tells them this is what it takes really to get to this level. Yeah. So you know, we we sort of, I was going to ask you about what have you found really challenging? I think maybe we were talking about some of that, but is there anything else, any other like really big challenges associated with, and again, I'm, we're talking about leading yeah. humans, any other big challenges that you would call out? Oh, yeah. What would that be? I think, you know, and I have a ways around this, but something that I definitely have bumped my head against is people who think they should be in your job and maybe have blinders. You mean who report to you? Yes. Who should be in your job? Okay. Understood. Mm-hmm. And who maybe have blinders on the reasons they're not. Like I've had direct reports say say to me like, well, I'm glad you you acknowledged that that I should have gotten your position. I'm like, I don't know what you're hearing. Wow. Said that out yeah. loud? <laughs> yeah. In a one-on-one, I was just like, oh Jeez. Lordy. There's so much that you have to do, so much internal work to not get triggered by these things and just like not take it personally. It's like, there's no threat here. They would have hired him for my job had they wanted to. And he has a massive blind spot of like saying the wrong thing. <laughs> So yeah, as evidence. Yeah. Yeah. And, what you just said. Yeah. But people who are unaware of their flaws and who think that they should be ahead of where they are, that took me a while to understand how to coach through mm-hmm. that and how to not be quite so annoyed with them or t- how to put mm-hmm. it aside if I had to to lead somebody that I didn't particularly like. Right. It's not my choice not to like someone. It's like, I may feel that way but I still have to get the best work out of them that I can and take them as high as I possibly can and be compassionate for them. Yeah. I mean, the bigger the organization that you're responsible for, the odds increase that you're going to run into people that you just don't, you don't click with. And that's okay. I mean, and so much of what we do in working with clients requires oh, yeah. the ability to adapt mm-hmm. and learn and help people anyway. Yep. Right. So, and, and I think if you look at the job of leading people primarily through a development lens, it's a little bit easier 100%. to sort of deal with the uh, quirks yeah. and the strangeness and the, just the differences, Yeah, you know? So I will admit I am one of those older white well, males, I love them. That, right? And there are a lot of people. I'm married to one. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> yeah, right. But I mean, so so there are barriers there, right? And, and, and now it's more pronounced, I think, today than ever before because people are sort of conscious of the differences and but anyway, I think it presents a leadership challenge. But again, if, you're, if your mindset and the way you view people is all about development, then it sort of comes a little easier to, to, to deal with differences, doesn't it? And I've bumped my head on that too, just wanting to be able to address that, but not knowing how to say it without coming across awful. 
but I've said to people, look, clearly I don't have the same experiences as you. And if I say something tone deaf and you're like, yeah, that's a great, that's a great solution for you. Not so applicable here. Mm -hmm. Please tell me to my face and I will take that information and adjust accordingly. I just don't know where my blind spots are. And I also know that as my boss, maybe they'll appreciate that, but still not do it. So it's still my job to try and understand everything I can to be like, hmm, does this, does this apply to everyone equally? But it is, it is a tricky thing. I will say, and this is just like out of luck, I haven't dealt with anyone who was in a minority that I had any trouble working with. It tended to be more guys that thought that they should have my job multiple times. But yeah. I also have a very different style. I'm what I call mushy. You know, I'm not going to be like, tell me all your feelings. But, you know, I don't come in and be like, this right. is the revenue and this is how you're going to get it. Because, again, like it's about being yourself and leading with who you sure. are in confidence. And if I did that, you would know immediately, like, what the hell is she trying? She, she seems weird. What's <laughs> off? You know? Yeah. 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 Something's not right here. All right. Let's... um just talk about influences. Mm. Who's had the most influence on you and your work as a leader? It could be anybody uh, in in your experience. Who 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 would that God, be? So many. There's no one person. Like I I learn something so important from each person that leads me. And whether that's you know something positive, like yeah, I'm stealing. I stole so much from you. You have no idea. Still to this day, <laughs> I really uh, my first sort of long term boss who was my boss for five years, he was just so kind of hands off and empowering me just like the, Hey, you're, you're amazing at this. Just go tell me what you need. Tell me how to get things out of your way so that you can continue to just, you know, zoom through this. I was like, wow. Okay. Uh-huh. When I actually tried doing that and it, and he was able to do that and didn't just try and hang on to me because I was a useful employee, but actually spoke my name in important rooms and was like, this is who should move up. I was like, Mm. yes, yes to all of that. I definitely, it was hard to leave working for him because the next person I got under was in no way like that. And I was like, oh, okay, I'm going to have to adjust. So that, and Brene Brown influences me a lot, which is funny. You know, when somebody, people recommend a book so much that you're like, oh, now I don't want to read it because everyone's reading it. And I just like feel some resistance. Stop right. trying to make me. And that's how I felt with her. And then I read Dare to Leave and I was like, damn it, you were all right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Now I know. And it's like, yes, that is exactly what I talk about. But she says it much more, just much more articulately. Yeah. I, look, we all read. I, I'm, you know, I'm surrounded by books here. I'm a dabbler. Like I only read a couple of chapters at a time and I'll come back into, but I am a re- I'm a little resistant to the trends too. I like to find things on my own. But uh, all right, well then let me ask you one last question here to wrap up, and it's a big, purposely vague and open question. Rachel, what else? What else do we need to know here? What other thoughts have you not shared that you think people who are on this leadership journey, maybe this is a CRO for the first time, has got sales and CS, maybe it's a CS leader, right? Or some other executive leader. What else would you like people to know? It's a great question. And if I could answer it in two minutes, I would. But I'm going to go with this instead. This is one that I'm constantly telling people, and it applies whether you're an individual contributor or a leader or anything. It's you have to think, what's in it for them? This person I'm talking to, mm. why should they care what I'm talking about? How? And that's not like a way to think that people are jerks. It's more just about let's be considerate here. Is this more about what I want or is it? about what they want. And that's a lot of what, 
you know, the foundation behind customer success is. So it, it's, but it's funny how often CS leaders don't think to do that with their boss or their company or their direct reports. They did Mm. it with clients, but the second it's outside of that lens, it's like, oh wait, yeah, find out what they want, help them get there. Like, it's strange, yeah, right? Let's, yeah. We change for yeah. some reason. Yeah. But it's, I know it's what you almost mean. like marketing. It's like, all right, am I trying to get somebody to do something different? Mm-hmm. I can't tell them why I want them to do something different. I have to tell them why they should want to, why they're going to benefit from mm-hmm. that. Every mm-hmm. single time you put together a presentation, every time you talk to your leadership, you talk to your direct reports, explain what's in it for them. You will get so much more buy in. Look, you're preaching to the choir here, right? You know that that's uh, that's what I preach and teach and try to do in my in my own practice. And um, I think we're going to be talking more, not just you and I, but us, all of us in general, with all of the you know, there's a lot of uh, a lot being written and talked about regarding AI and generative AI and and what's the role of humans in a selling function or in a customer success mm-hmm. function. You know, maybe maybe machines can be trained to show other orientation to be less self-oriented, but I I I doubt I doubt. I it. feel like the the empathy piece is always going to be missing, and it's just like you know I've tried to use it to write, and I've like worked with prompt engineers to just see like what that's about, and it's just like every single time I write something better, and it takes sure. more time than if I had just written it myself. Will that always be the case? I yeah. don't know, but in dealing with humans. And humans are, humans make decisions with emotion and then rationalize what those decisions are. They don't make decisions based on, on fact and ration. Yeah. Much as they'd like to think they do, all of us. So I think that AI is going to struggle with that. It's going to miss that piece. Sure. I think we can use it much in the same way that I, like, I love a good CS tool. It will automate things for you. It will allow you to scale. It will allow you to focus on the really cool, interesting human stuff. Mm-hmm. But if you ask it to do that kind of thing, you're going to have some trouble. That's why customer right. health is always a little bit tricky. Yeah. Yeah. Last thought here, right? The empathy thing is what you made reference to earlier. And what that typically sounds like is, Rachel, I understand the experience you've just had. I haven't had exactly the same experience, but I've had I've had something similar. And so I'm, I'm there with you. I know what you're going through. There is no machine no, they, they on the can. that will ever yeah. be able to do that, right? They don't have experiences. They don't have human experiences. So, yeah. So thank heaven. Right. That's the, that may be the last domain for human relationships to be built upon, but, uh, but it's a great point. Look, this has been a great conversation. You and I could probably have uh, nine or 10 <laughs> more episodes here. And I, at some point, if you're open to it, I'd love to have yeah. you come back and we'll talk about a little bit more about relationship management, trust building. But for today, I just want to say thank oh, you my pleasure. for offering your wisdom on the topic. And uh, so I'm going to summarize a few key points here for everyone listening, because I think there are some actionable things that came out of today's conversation that really anyone listening can apply. So Rachel, before I do that, thank you so much. I'll let you get to the rest of your day. We'll talk soon. Awesome. Thank you so much. So now I have the unenviable task of trying to summarize all of the great ideas and nuggets that we heard from Rachel in that conversation about customer success and leadership. So I'll go through it quickly, knowing that we're trying to keep this conversation to about 30 minutes. She said a few really important things right? in no particular order. We have to let our people play to their strengths right? rather than focusing on fixing weaknesses or dwelling on the areas where they don't necessarily have strength in order to help them develop. We really should 
let them play to their strengths. Another thing that Rachel said about effective sort of learning and development and leadership is that your people have to be able to fail. Being able to fail is key to an effective learning experience and environment. She said a couple of other things that I want you to remember here. And then the challenge will be, how do I act on this, Matt? How can I incorporate some of the things we just heard from Rachel? One of the things that she said she loves about leading is watching people's surprise at how much they've grown. I can totally relate to that, right? Being a developer and a coach of people for many years, that may be one of the best feelings of them all. So if you're a current leader or an aspiring leader, know that's one of the big things. That's what's in it for you, right? Seeing that benefit and watching people surprised at their own growth. And then finally, this is, I, I love this one. Very early in the conversation, Rachel said, be a conductor, not a one-man band. Wow, let that sink in for a minute, right? If you've ever thought of those moments where you're taking on all the work and you're frustrated because people aren't getting, getting work done and they're not meeting your expectations, take a step back. Are you functioning like a one-man band or a conductor? And what can you do to be a better conductor of your team's effort? So, I want to thank Rachel for joining us and encourage you to come back for our next episode, which will be another great interview. Until then, this is Matt McDarby, author and host of the Divine Comedy of Sales podcast. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time.